Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Why are so many social, business, and classroom interactions so dang dull? This state of affairs isn't only a bummer for those on the receiving end of these underwhelming experiences, but those offering them too. It means that people are failing to connect with others, teachers are failing to impart knowledge, and salespeople are failing to make sales. Because when you don't engage people, you don't influence them. My guest says that the secret to making an impact on others is learning to turn ordinary experiences into extraordinary ones through the science of immersion. Dr. Paul Zak is a professor, scientist, and the author of Immersion. Today on the show, Paul shares what he's learned from decades of neuroscience research on how to create immersive experiences that'll set you apart as an individual or business and increase your influence. We discuss the elements that create immersion, what goes on in the brain when it occurs, how long it can last, and how to induce immersion. Whether you want to teach a more engaging class, wow your customers, or simply make everyday interactions with friends and family more memorable. After the show's over, check out our show notes at awm.is slash immersion. Paul Zach, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Brett. So you've spent your career studying why people or why certain things engage us more emotionally and spurs to action while others don't. What led you down this research path and how did your career end up having you research, doing research for the U.S. military? So there's an honest answer and a dishonest answer. Which one would you like? Yeah, I like the, the, I want the story, the dishonest one. How about that? That's always the more fun one, right? Uh, the dishonest one is the DMV. You've been to the DMV. Yes. You've been to, uh, I don't know, Walmart, you know, I mean, why do we have so many experiences in our life that are sucky, right? Why, do, why isn't everything fabulous? Why isn't everything like the first date with the person you fall in love with or an amazing meal? So, you know, if you talk to businesses, they all agree customer experience is really important. Um, but most of that is terrible. So the first, you know, dishonest answer is I'm just fascinated that we cannot figure out how to wow people every time we have an interaction, whether that's social, whether it's in person, why is so much stuff mundane and dull? So that's the dishonest answer. The honest answer is that I'm a Martian and I find the human species to be extraordinarily interesting. And we began to study why people are nice to each other, uh, which seems to be like a weird, outstanding trait of the humans right? That we cooperate most of the time. I mean, you know, the bad behavior gets in the news, but basically we're pretty nice to each other almost all the time. Why? Right? Isn't nature red in tooth and claw? Shouldn't we be grabbing resources and anything we want from each other and murdering each other at a high rate? 
we we really don't. And so um, we started doing this work, made some progress, and then the U.S. military and some other agencies of the U.S. government with with letters that I shouldn't mention started funding us to ask us to identify signals in the brain that in combination would accurately and consistently predict what people would do after a message or an experience. That's a mouthful. What's that mean? They wanted us to build a neurologic prediction engine in order to train soldiers to have a new superpower called persuasion. So if I could understand from a brain perspective what will motivate you to take an action, then I can influence that action. And that's what we all do all the time, right? We're social creatures. We're constantly influencing those around us, whether we know it or not. So my view is we might as well be as good as possible at influence by understanding the factors that promote or inhibit people to cooperate with us. So in your book, Immersion, you share this research you've done in a very easy to read, reader-friendly way. And you explain the neuroscience of what makes certain activities, certain moments in life really engaging, where it just lights us up and causes us to take action. And you say one of the key features is that these moments, they're extraordinary experiences that put us into a state of immersion. So let's talk about definitions first. Like, How do you define what's an extraordinary experience? And then what do you mean by the state of immersion? Right. So there's a real dilemma when we started doing this work, which is if I ask you to rate an experience like, um, I don't know, the cup of coffee you had this morning, how good was that on one to seven scale? Well, compared to what? You know, I always say like compared to my kids, I my kids talk back to me, forget my kids. My dog's perfect. My dog's always a seven, right? But I can't compare my dog to coffee. And so if we ask people to consciously report what they think they like, it predicts nothing. It doesn't predict movie ticket sales. Otherwise, every movie will be a hit, right? Just ask people, do you like this movie? Great. We'll edit it till you like it. Every book would be a hit. So we went with what we can see. We gave people an experience and then we allowed them to do something that was difficult or costly. So for example, we showed them a public service announcement about um, some social ill and we were taking blood before and after. Look at changes in neurochemicals. So we paid people like 40 bucks. And at the end we said, by the way, do you want to donate some money to the American Cancer Society or whatever? And we just compared brain activity for people who did something after an experience versus those who did not. So our assumption was, if this experience was so exciting to your brain that it provoked you to do something difficult, it must have been really extraordinary. And then we worked back from there. And in doing that, we discovered this neurologic state of called immersion, which is a set of neurologic signals in the brain. So it's brain data that's associated with being present, right? The experience is not going to be great if I'm distracted, if I'm not able to be fully present, and with the emotional value of that experience. So if I'm here, I'm present, and this experience is emotionally compelling to me, those two things together tell me that this experience is valuable. And that neurologic immersion is a continuous variable. So it can be low, it's an okay thing, or it can be really high. Oh, I love this a lot. This is the best thing ever. And so by being able to quantify neurologically second by second the value that people's brains assign to an experience, we can work backwards. And this is what the book Immersion does is to take uh, 50,000 plus brain observations and say, well, how do I create a great message as a marketer? How do I create a great movie? How do I create a great hit song? So we've learned so much from people measuring those activities 
so that we can create more of what people really love. Isn't that what we want in the world? That's what I want. So what are you looking at in the brain to measure this immersion state? Because as you said, I want to talk more about this. Self-reporting isn't useful. So you say you like something, but it actually didn't engage you. So what are you looking at? What, what are you actually measuring to sh- figure out whether someone's in this immersive state or not? Yeah, great question. And again, we're doing this all the time, right? We try to assess, should I go out with that guy or girl? Should I buy that sport coat? And right, we're, we're really trying to assess our own preferences, but those preferences my life and many others have shown are deep in the unconscious areas of the brain. So they're not really open to conscious awareness, at least not very clearly. So we found this immersive state is associated with the brain's binding of a neurochemical called dopamine that probably most listeners have heard of that's associated with things like risk-taking and reward. It's the same chemical that um, drugs of abuse like cocaine and methamphetamine uh, increase, you know, a million fold in your brain. So first thing, it's this arousal chemical. I got to be turned on by this thing so that I'm present. And the second neurochemical is called oxytocin, which is that emotional resonance. Like how valuable is this to me emotionally? So if I have this kind of arousal state, dopamine, and I'm getting emotional value from this, that combination together, the dance of those two, two neurochemicals induces electrical activity that we can measure with big $100,000 machines, or now with things like smartwatches by applying algorithms in the cloud. So it allows us to actually quantify second by second when something is good or bad. So can I give a concrete example? Because this sounds like we're at 30,000 feet. Yeah, perfect. We're useful. Yeah. So um, we built a, a, a platform so that anybody can measure what the brain loves. And one of our longest term subscribers to the platform is the professional services company Accenture. And they have found in the $1 billion they spend a year on corporate training, that their employees cannot stay immersed in training for more than 20 minutes, right? So if I want to get this information in your brain, immersion says it's important, important information is saved in the brain in a way that makes it easily accessible. Accenture has now broken down their training into 20-minute segments so that they get the most impact for the money they spend on training I don't know why it's 20 minutes, why it's not 18 or 22, but they found around 20 minutes, your brain is fatigued, you need a break. So brain cells are just like muscle cells. They fatigue with use and immersion is really metabolically costly. So if I'm going to influence you, if I want to get information in your head, I've got to give you this intensive and generally short experience so that the information is categorized, put in your brain, and then potentially influences your behavior. So this is really the science of influence. Okay, so when we are experiencing an immersive moment, there's dopamine. Our dopamine levels rise because this thing is grabbing our attention. But then also combined with that, oxytocin levels rise as well. And oxytocin, I think people have heard it as like the nurturing molecule. It's like the thing that helps us bond to people. But you're saying it also helps us experience that emotional, like it it makes the, the event we're experiencing emotionally salient to us. Correct. Right. Okay. And so it's both those kinds of things. And again, those activate large networks in the brain. What we found is that if we grab data from the brain's output file, which is these 12 cranial nerves that come out of your head and send information to the rest of your body, I can grab a huge amount of information, networked information from the brain. And that was the real breakthrough that we made you know, about 10 years ago, is that as opposed to putting in an MRI scanner or putting a big you know, EEG cap on your head, that we can actually grab these data from your cranial nerves and get really good signal 
where we're able to predict things like hit songs three months in advance with 97% accuracy using immersion or predict uh, mood in the elderly with 98% accuracy. So we're really capturing, uh, I'm going to use one bad word, I hope that's okay. Um, I'm really capturing what one of our subscribers to the software platform called the give a measure. So because the brain is so metabolically costly, so energy hungry, it wants to just cruise most of the time. So when we see this neurologic state immersion, it's really expending a lot of metabolic energy. So the brain is investing all this energy to process this experience. And that's why it's valuable to us. The brain goes, wow, this is the best thing ever. Give me more of this. So again, think of that, you know, gorgeous guy or girl you see walking down the street. You're like, whoa, this is, how did nature create this amazing creature? Or uh, I don't know, the the best meal. I just came from South Africa. I had one of the best meals of my life, a two-hour dinner, course after course, this, this uh, chef's testing, uh, tasting menu. And it was amazing, right? Just mind-blowingly good. And I was just, you know, totally immersed the entire time. So, you know, give me more of that. Okay, so... By knowing this this immersion idea and that there's this dopamine and the oxytocin, as you said, you can reverse engineer this to create more engaging experiences. Let's start with this. Like a lot of things in our life, they grab our attention, right? We all have smartphones and there's things that we, when we're scrolling through, it grabs our attention, but they don't, they're not emotionally resonant. So what's going on there? Why why are some things, you know, they grab our attention, but they don't emotionally resonate. So like what what makes an attention grabbing moment have that oxytocin boost as well, right? So I, that's a good question. So let's let's go to two answers on that. So one is, if I grab your attention, but I don't get any emotional value from it, I call that state frustration. Like I want this YouTube ad to be great, but after six seconds, I hover over the skip and I I want to go away. Or you know, some I don't know new show, whatever it is, right? It just it's just frustrating. Like I'm here, I'm present, I got the dopamine effect, but just not getting much value out of this. So uh, the second uh, question is, like, how do I do that? What we found now in measuring just tons and tons of experiences is that if I use a narrative arc, if I create tension, I have a human scale story, we are, as social creatures, fascinated by the other humans. And that's why movies are not going away, novels are not going away. We're really interested, podcasts like this are not going away. We're really interested in what the other humans are doing. And we can learn from them. But if I craft that information as a story that is introducing characters who have a crisis or mystery, who have to resolve that mystery, who have to do something often extraordinary to do it, that seems to be the most effective way to sustain immersion. So again, we all know this intuitively, right? If we're, Brett, you and I are out at a bar at happy hour hanging out, we're going to be telling stories to each other, right? So uh, and that's essentially what we're doing right now on your podcast. We're kind of telling stories. I'm telling a little more technical story, but I'm still trying to craft that around a human scale story. So when we measure stories, like when we work with movie studios and TV networks, um, you can see second by second when that story, by measuring immersion, when that story starts to lag. Now, you don't want to be at 100% immersion all the time. It's too exhausting. You want to modulate immersion. But even in our own daily lives for listeners, Right. Think about having crafting a really effective story in three minutes, in five minutes. It's got to be kind of tight. It's got to open hot, and you've got to get me in this story. Open hot means you know grab that dopamine attentional response, like oh something new's happening here, and now add in that social component. Right. That 
uh, here's the crisis. Here's the weird thing that happened to me. Here's something that um, was unexpected that we had to overcome. That narrative arc is really the most effective way to entertain, but also to influence people. All right. So to create immersive experiences, you have to tell a story. Yeah, a good story. A good Not story. any story, but it's really got to be you know tight. So you know, think of comedians. You know, they go to these clubs, they practice these comedy routines and small clubs over and over and over until they've really tightened up the language of storytelling. So we as, you know, civilians, you know, we just tell stories all the time kind of randomly. But I would say if you want to influence others, and that's what human creatures do all the time. So just, you know, embrace that. If you want to do it really well, craft that story, practice that story, you know, get it really nailed down so that um, in particular, if you want to influence someone, you want that call to action or that request to happen at an immersion peak. So you want to craft your narrative so that there's a peak immersion, high attention, high emotional resonance at this point where you've really captured this person emotionally, and then you can move them in a direction um, that they that you'd like them to go in. Now, people can always say no, right? There's no coercion here. There's no brainwashing. There's no you know secret sauce here. I'm not working for the North Koreans. Um, but if I'm going to try to influence you to do something that you can choose to say yes or no to, I might as well do it as well as possible. So when you're crafting a story, what causes those peak immersion moments? Great question. Lots of things. One is authentic emotion. So think of a movie, right? You know, great acting. You really extract the emotion. They're not overacting. They're subtlety. You know, the sort of Jack Nicholson. You know, really great uh, acting. If you're telling your own story, it's really showing your emotions. So I and I think a lot of guys tend to be not that emotional. But if I want to actually influence you or entertain you, I actually need to express my emotions, right? And so it doesn't mean I'm crying about something, but it means I'm, you know, really uh, authentically expressing how I feel. So the cool thing about immersion is it's contagious, right? If I'm excited about this experience, you tend to get excited about it too. And so um, that's how social creatures influence each other. So it's really believing in the story. So the caveat to that is if you're making this up, if it's fictional, it's really hard to tell a good lie because as social creatures, we're really good at picking up the unconscious signals of people who are lying to us, right? That happens all the time. People lie. So we've shown in lots of published scientific research that you know basically these signals for um, uncertainty or weirdness, we see those in the brain. We don't always consciously know it, but our brain knows it. And we have that kind of innate sense like, I don't know, this dude, something's wrong with him, right? I, I, I just don't get it. I can't. I can't put my finger on it, but something feels off. And that's a very important signal as well. So again, if you want to influence someone or want to get that cute girl to go out with you, you've got to be yourself, right? And, and again, we sort of know that, but be yourself, but uh, craft that story, craft, rehearse that thing you want to say so that it's very natural. So, uh, you know, I gave a, a talk at uh, TED Talk about 10 years ago. It's got a couple million views now. And I had 10 months to craft that talk, right? It's, it's 18 minutes. I did it over and over and over. I workshopped it. I got feedback. I had people critique how I was standing, how I was moving. I brought in props, right? All that was, you know, 10 months of writing and practicing and rehearsing. And, you know, and it got a standing ovation. It went really, really well. But that's how much prep, maybe not that much, but, you know, a lot of prep is necessary to really craft a great narrative. Okay, so to uh, tell a good story, you want to show authentic emotion. Like you want to 
you want to be sincere. But paradoxically, I think I think a lot of people think that in order to be authentic or sincere, it requires spontaneity, right? You have to say things off the cuff. But in order to say what you really feel, you often have to intentionally practice it to express, you know, what you want to express instead of offering, you know, sort of jumbles of incoherent, spontaneous thoughts. So what else goes into an effective emerging producing story? So it really is structure. So kind of think of three things for listeners. There's three things you can control that influence how much impact you will have on somebody. That impact, again, could be just entertainment. It could be influence. It could be buying a product if you're a salesperson. Um, the, the first thing is setting the stage. So you want to establish psychological safety. I want this person to be relaxed, the person I want to interact with. Right? And so that means you've got to be relaxed, make sure they're comfortable. They, you know, if you have a full bladder, that's, that takes away neural bandwidth and you can't listen to my story or my pitch, whatever it is. So first, establish psychological safety. Hey, how are you doing, Brett? Oh, great to see you. Would you like a cup of coffee? Yeah, have a seat. Oh, it's going to be a fun conversation. So establish psychological safety, number one. Number two is think of structuring that content. So use a narrative structure, have this tight structure with a hot open, and have, if you want to influence someone, a call to action at an immersion peak. And the third is how you deliver that content, right? So deliver it, as I said earlier, with energy, with with your own excitement about it so that you infect other people with your own immersion. So establish psychological safety, structure the content, and then deliver the content with uh, immersion. And that structure, I think the important thing you talked about, there has to be that sort of tension where you you think it's not going to be resolved, but then you do resolve it. Exactly. So again, for listeners... Um, look at a, just go, you know go online and pull up any old uh, movie trailer, theatrical movie trailer. These are roughly around three minutes, and you'll see that those movie trailer trailers introduce characters. They put them in a weird situation where those characters don't know what to do, and then there's a crisis. That's the peak immersion moment, and then they don't tell you what happens after the crisis. You have to buy a ticket to go and watch that movie or stream that movie to find out what the heck happens. That's a perfect structure for a call to action. I don't want to resolve the conflict because now you have to pay (laughs) to figure out what happens. But there's always going to be a conflict. If it's just flat, Bob and Sue showed up, they went to their classes in college, and then they went home. I don't care about that. I'm not learning anything from that. That's not new. But they go to their classes, and then a bomb went off. And then Bob couldn't find Sue. And then all of a sudden, here's a sound. Okay, now, holy crap, maybe... Maybe once in my life, a bomb will go off and I'll you know, use this information, this story, so I can learn what to do in that situation. So you know, I'm putting tension into it. And in our normal lives, you know, we avoid tension. But in the storytelling space, we want to actually create tension in other people. And we like that, that from the listener's perspective, we want tension. We're going to take a quick break for your words from our sponsors. Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. 
When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family when I'm gone, if something happens to me? Well, so one of the first things I did, I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. That's meetfabric.com slash manliness, M-E-E-T fabric.com slash manliness. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the Masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. And now back to the show. It was interesting, this story arc that you can use to create tension and create those, those peak uh, immersive moments. You can do this when you're doing a sales pitch and we can talk about some of the things you do when you're teaching and you have a chapter on that. But you can do this with events, with physical things you're actually doing. I I think of uh, Disney World or Disneyland. They do a great job of telling a story when you're going through an attraction. Like even when you're waiting in line, 
like they're telling a story. They're creating those, those narrative, those immersive moments. Then it'll go down because you need a break and then it'll go back up and then you go through the ride and you have a, a completely immersive experience. Exactly right. So if you think of, you know, the most famous rides at Disneyland or Disney World, like Space Mountain, Space Mountain is just a roller coaster in the dark. But it's wrapped around this amazing story of going to a space flight and you're entering into the space center and you have to get on this ship. And so, yeah, Disney was brilliant in wrapping the attraction around a story. So I took a crew to Disneyland. This is in the book. And we found that on average for the eight or nine rides we went on at Disneyland, that they were the 98th percentile, averaging 98th percentile compared to all other uh, live experiences we've measured. So Disney is just nailing it. And part of that was the queuing up. As you're queuing up, you have so many things to look at and listen to and hear and smell. And so they really create this experience where, again, they're kind of warming you up for the big takeoff of that attraction. So they're kind of, again, establishing that psychological safety. They're intriguing you. They're keeping you immersed. Um, So let's do this in our daily lives as much as possible. Again, you don't want to just tell your family member or loved one, how's work today? Great, nothing happened. Well, that doesn't really tell your family member much. They say, you know, pretty good day. And the most weirdest thing happened ever, um, a coyote walked into my office. Okay, well, I'm interested. Holy crap, a coyote walked in your office? I want to hear this story, right? So, you know, think about um, giving people the information that is going to be most uh, interesting to them, right? When, when we're talking, when we have conversations just like this, you know, we wanted those conversations to be interesting, engaging, immersive. We want all those things to happen so that we learn something new. And it's the new information that creates tension in a story. As you were talking, it made me think about why Christmas is such an immersive holiday. Because it's got a story. It's got all these stories involved in it. You've got, you know, of course you get the nativity story, but then there's like Santa Claus and you have all these things that, you know, peak your immersion. And then you get to Christmas Eve, you're counting down. There's like this tension and you don't know, like when you're kids, like, well, is Santa going to come or not? And you wake up and it's just our brains getting hammered with oxytocin during Christmas time. For sure. And you have all those memories of the previous Christmases and all the amazing things that happened and family and friends you saw and great gifts. And so uh, because the brain is so memory, uh, sorry, energy hungry, those memories actually influence our immersion in current events. In other words, I'm actually kind of um, uh, taking that immersion and putting it on steroids because I have all these good experiences from the past that build up my immersion in the current experience. And that's why we want to repeat highly immersive experiences, whether it's uh, dating that, that person that you're crazy about, you want to see them over and over, whether it's going to Disneyland again, um, shopping at a store. Um, I, I just mentioned I came back from South Africa, so 30 hours to get home for me. The most amazing flight attendants who smiled, who just made my flight so interesting and nice and couldn't been better. And, you know, you're just kind of beat up after all that time on, on airplanes and airports. And yet the people there made the experience so valuable for me. So shout out to United Airlines. How would you make the DMV experience more immersive with this information that you've garnered from your research? That's a great question. I think the first thing is greeting. So again, I want to establish psychological safety. We're, you know, we're taking time off work. We got to go there. So have a greeter out front, just like Walmart does. Like, oh, hello, sir. Um, can I get your name? We'll get you checked in. 
Oh, Mr. Zach, welcome to the DMV. Oh, holy crap. I would love that. First of all, that's just, just that alone will make my experience better. And then second, tell me what's going to happen, right? Give me that uh, kind of journey, that narrative about the journey. So we're going to have you check in at Windows 7. Expect to wait, you know, between six and 10 minutes. Thank you for making an appointment. Um, and then they're going to uh, get you checked out. So you're getting your license renewed today. So you should be out of here in about 20, 25 minutes. And my name is Bob. If you have any questions, come talk to me anytime. Wow, that would be great. Now, the problem with the DMV, of course, is it's a government office, and so they don't have a profit incentive to keep me coming. I have to come. It's a monopoly, basically. Um, but you know, think of how many stores you go in. I was at a store on Fifth Avenue in New York, Brett, um, I don't know, a couple years ago, with my daughter shopping, some fancy, fancy store. My daughter goes to the, my daughter's 20. She goes to the women's section. I look at the men's section, and literally there were three salesmen standing there, you know, grab-assing with each other instead of saying hi to me. I'm looking around, you know, I'm dressed nice, I have money. I literally went over to the salespeople I'm like, you guys don't want to talk to me? You don't want to try to sell me stuff? Like, what's happening? They all just looked at me like blankly. And one guy finally said, what are you looking for? I'm like, how about a sport coat? What's new? What's the like? I mean, I had to beg them as opposed to, hey, welcome to our store. Yeah, my name's Paul. Um, you know, we have some amazing new sport coats in. Just came in uh, yesterday from Milan. All right, you're telling me a story now, right? I'm engaged in that. So, you know, really think about the best way to communicate as storytelling. Okay, so with an event like the DMV, you don't necessarily have to create like a fantastical story like at Disneyland where you have a queue and you're going through some kind of cool Star Wars expedition. Because people would just be turned out like, oh my gosh, this is the DMV, what are you guys doing? But it's just the story could be like, here's what's going to happen on your journey during the DMV. You're going to wait in line here and you're going to go there. Like that's the story right there. That's the story, but how about Every 50th customer, you're in a lottery for, I don't know, something awesome. Uh, a free uh, year of registration for your car, whatever. Like, we want to actually make this, you know, we're going to gamify it. So gamification is really useful because it builds that tension. We don't know who's going to get it. We're all watching it. Wouldn't that be great to have some kind of gamification at the DMV or, or any place? I want to go back to this idea that this disconnect between us liking things and then us actually being emotionally resonant to it. And you did this, you found this with some Super Bowl commercial experiments you did. So you showed people Super Bowl commercials and asked them, what did you think about this commercial? And what you guys found was people would say they liked this one commercial, but if you actually looked at their, their data from their brain, they actually weren't responding to it. So what's going on when we say we like something, but our brain is saying, is not really paying attention to it? Like, why do we like things that we're not really emotionally resonant with? Yeah, the, the short answer is that people lie. And, and people lie not because they're malicious, usually because they're nice. And we're asking them this impossible question. Again, liking compared to what? It, it's untethered to anything that's objective. Um, so when we started doing this work commercially, you know, I started getting that weird feeling like, okay, I, don't, I can do this in my lab, I can publish research, but if companies are paying us a lot of money, to help them create immersive experiences and measuring the experiences they've already created. Uh, I want to make sure I'm really doing it right. Yeah, so we started measuring Super Bowl commercials because we can measure this live. We would go to a bar. We would arrange with a bar to you know, have 50 people come in and we'd buy them drinks and snacks and then measure the Super Bowl live while it's going. And then also ask them, you know, like, which commercials? We, we didn't care about the game. We care about the commercials, right? This is, you know, the commercials are the apotheosis of advertising, right? Super expensive. They should be the best. 
And those commercials are rated by uh, USA Today newspaper every year. So we actually have that data. And every year we have found a zero correlation between what people say they like in a commercial and what is immersive to their brains. Why? Because things we like are things that are easy, things that are familiar. And also, you know, we try to be nice. We don't want to say stuff is awful generally. Um, if you ask people like in a uh, focus group. Um, but there are a lot of commercials that are not really likable that really shake up the brain. So to me, the return on the investment of advertising is I shook up your brain so much, this information stuck in there. So now when you go to the store or go to the car dealer, you remember that experience. Immersive experiences are saved in the brain uh, in a very special way because they have high emotion that make them more easily recalled. So if I want to shake up your brain deep in the unconscious parts, you don't have conscious awareness of that. So we like things that are easy, that are funny, that are whatever. Um, and by the way, it doesn't matter if they're funny, sad, you know, weird. Some of the, the most immersive commercials are super weird. They're just odd. And I don't know, they're just, they're like surprising. So generally people uh, value neurologically things that are similar to what they know, but a little bit different. So like in music or in movies, right? We have genres we like, and I want to have more of that genre, but I also want a little bit of new stuff added to it, but not too new, right? If it's completely weird, then it's too far outside my uh, general preferences. Yeah, you talked about one commercial that people didn't say they liked. Like they like that was the worst commercial, but if you actually look at the data, it's the one they most responded to is this Diet Coke commercial. And it was like some woman just kind of dancing like Elaine Bennis like sort of off kilter, but that was the one that got the most response. Yeah, it's unlikable. I've showed it many, many times and people always agree. Yeah, some super tall, skinny woman dancing in this weird, awkward way. Um, it's shot with uh, very asymmetrically against a yellow wall and she's talking in a weird way. The whole thing is just weird, but it has a narrative structure and it, it's like a car accident. You just can't look away. You got to see it. So it's not likable. But again, I think that's the mistake that we make when we create content, is that people should like it. Now, we do find that highly immersive experiences, when we ask people, are rated as, as enjoyable. So that's a good thing. But enjoyable doesn't mean it's immersive, right? If I like it, it doesn't mean that it shook up my brain. So that's what I want to do. I want to shake up your brain so you go, holy moly, I got to do this thing. This is happening. Well, and you also talk about this disconnect between liking and it resonating. This can explain box office bombs. Like you talk about Pluto Nash, that Eddie Murphy movie in the nineties. And what happens is these movies get made because they do focus groups and the focus groups say, yeah, I like that. And then the director and the producer start making changes based on what the focus group says. But the focus group is probably wrong. Like they, they might like it, but they're not actually uh, emotionally resonating with it. Yeah, there's this um, uh, fetishization of data. So all data is not good data, right? So um, I think I quote in the book, I think uh, Ridley Scott, some other directors who just ignore whatever those focus groups say. You know, uh, the, the classic example is, remember the movie Marley and Me from, I don't know, early 2000s? Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, they, and then they focus group that, they ask people about the movie, what they like, what they dislike, and they're like, oh, don't let the dog die. And like the whole point of that movie is the dog at the end has to die. Sorry, spoiler alert for people who haven't seen this 15-year-old movie. Um, so the dog has to die so the humans can take the lessons they learned from the dog and go on and live a good life. But if you're not a storyteller, if you don't understand structure, if you don't understand 
why um, you know a, a movie has resonance emotionally, then of course you don't want the who wants the dog to die. But that's the point of the movie, right? So again, I think asking naive people who are not experts, but even experts don't know, right? Because um, we have this, this this thing, Brad, I call the Freudian hangover, which is we think from this coke addict Freud that if I just probe you the right way, I can make the unconscious conscious. But actually, those are separate data streams. The unconscious part of your brain is probably 99%, and it's largely not available to our consciousness. So if I want to have you tell me about your unconscious emotional response to an experience, you're just going to fake it, right? So Because you, you, you just don't know. It's like asking your liver how much it enjoyed your lunch today. You were like, that's a stupid question. That's the same thing about asking, you know, let's ask your brainstem how much it has enjoyed this conversation with Paul Zak. Well, your brainstem can't talk. Yeah, and I think this disconnect can explain like why some movies become cult classics, right? They might have come out and they bombed initially for whatever reason, but because they immerse people into something, it has a long life. Like I mean, thinking like Christmas, yeah, Christmas story, right? We're talking about Christmas, a Christmas story. I think when it first came out, it bombed, but now it's become this cult classic that everyone watches every Christmas, and they have memories about this movie, watching it as a child. Right, so you get that double whammy. You get the nostalgia, that memory effect. And it's such a cute, sweet movie, and it's also time-limited, right? So again, one of the factors that we found almost always is that shorter is better. I'm not going to watch a Christmas story you know, 40 times before Christmas. I'll watch it maybe once or maybe twice. I really have to. Uh, so that time-limited. You know, This is the operators are standing by now, right? We want to make that tension. We want to turn that tension into a decision. And that decision's got to happen faster. But yeah, with streaming, there's so many movies that are out there that yeah didn't find an audience for whatever reason. They weren't marketed well or people just didn't get it. And then they're absolute classics and it's so great to have them. But again, for listeners, you know, if you rewatch a movie, it gives you a great opportunity to see the hooks they put in there to modulate your immersion. Um, and for long-form storytelling, again, I don't want you to be at maximum immersion because I just exhaust you and then you just want to quit. I want to kind of have this sine wave pattern up and down, different storylines with different levels of tension. And then generally those two or three storylines merging in the end into a big climax. Um, so again, you can learn from your favorite movies or favorite TV shows, you know, how they do that. You mentioned Elaine Bennett. So Seinfeld, I think, was extraordinarily well-written where there are almost always three different storylines that at the end of that 22-minute episode converged into kind of a big takeaway. And so, yeah, just for people interested, you know, watch a couple old Seinfelds and see how they wrap these three stories together that modulate tension from high to low and then bring it all together at the end. Well, let's talk about some applications of this immersion idea. So teaching, there's people uh, who might be teaching in schools, but if you have a job, you might be doing trainings. How can we use this immersion idea to help students recall information better? Right, so think of the Accenture 2020 rule. So uh, don't speak for more than 20 minutes. And after 20 minutes, you'll switch tasks. So 20 minutes of maybe um, explaining what you're going to do and then 20 minutes of something that's active, participatory, people working at their desks or tables, um, and then think about 20 minutes of a debrief. So it's really the flipped classroom on steroids. So shorter, more intensive. Accenture has found that breaks should be longer because I'm, again, exhausting those neurons in the brain. So put a, a break in there so people can kind of refresh. You can use things like uh, movement together. 
to get a class or a training session. So stand up and we're going to all clap together. We're all going to move or do jumping jacks. And people naturally coordinate. So when you coordinate, you actually increase immersion because we're all moving the same direction. So brains will actually, physical movement will coordinate neurologic activity, which is super weird. So that's one way to do it. Um, and the next is really be responsive. So if you're not you know, measuring immersion directly, look for those signs like shuffling feet, movement in the seats that tell you that you're kind of losing people. So when I give public lectures, I always listen for those kind of movements or look for those movements or listen for those sounds or like, okay, I'm losing the audience. I've got to mix it up here. So what I do when I'm speaking for say an hour is I put in what I call pivots. If the audience is getting restless, I have a backup plan and I have actually every 20 minutes in a talk, I have a pivot that I may or may not use. If the talk's going great, run with it. It's fine. If the people are getting restless, then pivot into that. I'll change the area of the stage I'm using. I'll go into the audience. I'll have props or I'll have things prepared so that I'm ready to continue to engage others. The shortest answer actually is use multimedia. So if I'm giving an hour talk, I'll probably show three to four videos to break it up. So I'll show a short three or four minute video. So now something's new is happening. Um, and then uh, I'll go back and talk about that video. Maybe I'll, I'll pull the audience if we have technology um, talk, 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 and then ask them to think about something or ask them to do something. So shorter is better and storytelling always wins the day. What about how can you use this immersion idea to be more persuasive, right? Let's say there's a guy in sales making a sales pitch. How can you use these ideas? Yeah. So first establish psychological safety. Second, really think about the outcome you want to get, right? If it's sales, how much, what exactly is this person buying? Not like, would you like to buy one of our products? But hey, you know what? I looked at your company and I think our Nespresso coffee maker is going to be perfect for your office. So let me tell you, tell you why. And then you can go through the history of how it was made and the technology and you have this. And then, you know, we made version one of the Nespresso. I'm making this all up now and completely failed. The thing broke, people hated it. And, you know, I wasn't even working for them and I saw this product come out. And I'm like, this is a piece of crap. And then... They brought in this Italian engineer, amazing. His name was Guido. He actually created the most beautiful machine you've ever seen. And this thing will make 5,000 cups of coffee in a row before you need to service it, better than any other coffee maker. So I'm making this all up now. It's fake. Nespresso's not paying me. I'm just looking at my coffee maker in my office. Um, so you know, it's really crafting that story and then getting to a point where, hey, 5,000 cups of coffee, this is going to be the best thing for you. How many would you like? Take that a high immersion moment and then close the sale. So you've really got to cl close the sale. What we often do with storytelling is we resolve the tension and then we wait from a sales perspective. What you want to do is when you've got high tension, that's when you want to make the ask, right? So you don't want to wait till that tension's dissipated. It's, it's rare. It doesn't last that long. Peak immersion moments last for maybe 20 to 30 seconds at most. So you've got that small window where you've really captured that person emotionally that's when you want to ask them to do something. What about, we've been kind of talking about this throughout our conversation, but just making, using these ideas to make, to create more extraordinary experiences in our daily lives. So this could be at work. It could be just a social interaction we have with somebody. It could be a date. What are some examples you've seen in your own life and in your research? Yeah, it's really a cranking it up. So one of the kind of uh, motifs of the book or key takeaways is that once we train ourselves to be deeply immersed in experiences, we open up a wealth of opportunities 
to have stronger social connections, more influence on others, happier and longer lives. And there's actually data in the book on that. So I really want to be connected to the humans around me. And I said I'm a Martian earlier. I'm working very hard to be a human by really investing in relationships. Um, so we can do this by, number one, the first step, being present, right? So put away your phone, make eye contact. I call this listening with your eyes. I'm going to give you the gift of my full attention. And then I want to be open and listening and absorbing what you're telling me, right? I want that oxytocin effect to be really immersed. And I want to share the emotions that um, you are expressing as you're talking to me, telling your story, doing something with me. So it's really training ourselves to be in the here and now and to be open to experiences. And once we do that, gosh, at Starbucks or on the airplane, as I said, with a nice, you know, flight attendant, amazing, you know, 15 hour flight person who was smiling the entire time. I don't know how he did it. Then I'm, you know, I'm happier when I get off the plane and I see my family unhappier, right? There's this, again, this sort of contagion effect in which it flows. So it's really understanding that to flourish as human beings, we've got to connect to others at a fundamentally deep level, at an immersion level. And when we do that, we get better and better at it. And even Martians like me can actually simulate being a human and actually having those full emotional connections to the people who care about us. Well, Paul, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about the book and your work? You can go to getimmersion.com, immersion with an I, or pauljzak.com. The book is Immersion, The Science of the Extraordinary and the Source of Happiness. The two things I really want in my life. I want extraordinary experiences and I want to be happy. So if you want those things, you'll get some lessons in the book. Brett, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Paul. My guest today was Dr. Paul Zak. He's the author of the book, Immersion. It's available on amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can find more information about his work at his website, pauljzak, that's Z-A-K.com. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash immersion, where you find links to resources where you delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Make sure to check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles that we've written over the years about pretty much anything you think of. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate it if you take one minute to give us a review on the podcast or Spotify. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think we get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, it's Brett McKay. Remind you to not listen to AOM Podcast, but put what you've heard into action. Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.